Okay, good morning, everybody, and welcome to another new energy chinwag with myself, John Massey, and with Charlie Rattan. Um, today, we thought we would revisit one of our popular topics from um, earlier this year, which is hydrogen. Um, Charlie, you, I think you're on the <coughs> one of us that was keen to bring this up. Um, there's a lot going on. What since we spoke in March, what would you what do you highlight as? Uh, we uh, we spoke in uh, in March, didn't we, uh, John, about uh, hydrogen, and it seems to have uh, gained traction with our listeners. We've had uh, quite a lot of favourable uh, feedback, which is always uh, it's good from listeners. And there's been a lot happening in the hydrogen space since uh, March, and I thought it might merit something of a revisit at the time we uh, we predicted that something would uh, happen in the hydrogen space and that certainly is the case but almost exponentially uh, there seems to be a quantum growth in interest and uh, I've been struck by there's an American roadmap to hydrogen there's an Australian hydrogen strategy uh, there's one on uh, Tasmanian hydrogen strategy and North German hydrogen strategy there's the Manchester City hydrogen strategy everybody suddenly seems to be writing up um, hydrogen strategies uh, and coming to similar conclusions. And I suppose the question is, uh, is why? Yeah, and the other question is, um, how useful is a strategy compared to deployment? That would be my my thing, I guess. I, I agree. I've, I mean, I've got a folder full of hydrogen strategies and white papers and roadmaps and all that kind of stuff. Um, I guess my point, my main issue with with hydrogen. I guess the answer to why um, there are lots of big interests. There are lots of big sectors who are very keen to push hydrogen. Uh, not least, I would say the oil and gas sector. Also, um, some of the existing gas networks um, who are concerned about, for example, electrification and, and gas replacement. Um, and, and so the the assets that they've got, stranded assets, that kind of thing. Um, so there's there's various reasons why. Also, from a policy point of view, um, if you look at certainly if you look at the UK decarbonisation net zero target, it was very clear in the um, parliamentary committee report into that um, that to decarbonise some of the tricky sectors like the heat, particularly in the UK, um, it was going to be hard to do that without hydrogen. Um, but there's also lots of other things happening competitively um and so i guess the challenge the challenge i see certainly and and one thing that is start you're starting to see more of is is actually turning sort of written strategy documents into things on the ground um so in that sense i guess trends i've seen since the start of the year um i would say from the one sector which hydrogen proponents were very keen on which was cars light transport i'd say i've seen that that one diminish actually um some of the most of the big manufacturers now have very clear strategies around battery cars but very few have any um any announcements or any roadmap in terms of hydrogen and even some of the companies like honda for example who were um some of the last bastions in terms of hydrogen cars they announced recently that um their hydrogen car program really is on, on hold um because they just don't see at the moment uh, there's a market for it um but they've got new models going on and battery side now in some ways i don't i don't see that as t a sort of 
terrible thing. Um, I think it's hydrogen, what hydrogen's starting to do now over the year is starting to look at where it can and can't compete. Uh, I think there are some areas where it just doesn't make sense, certainly in the short term, to try and compete, and, and battery cars would be one of those. Uh, but then there are other areas where I've seen activity and you're seeing real pilot projects and deployments and investments um, around things like steel making, for example, some of the industrial uses um, where it makes a lot more sense. If you're going to if you're going to grow hydrogen, I think one of the things that comes out of some of these these strategy documents is that trying to immediately be a massive hydrogen economy and do everything is actually a bit counterproductive what you need is you need to grow hubs you need to kind of have local hydrogen strategies you need to do things that may look on a small scale in the kind of global picture but actually are, are easier and quicker to deploy and can actually get things built because uh, it's only by getting things built you can start to reduce costs and it's only by reducing costs that some of these other applications and market segments will become viable in the long run Yes, a, a great deal of analysis uh, in uh, there. Like uh, you, I've got a bulging folder. It's almost uh, a daily announcement, and it's, it's almost who's going to be the next to uh, to come out with a, a with a with a hydrogen strategy. And there's some rather sexy sounding uh, names buried mm. in uh, certainly in the political speak in all of this. And I've heard things like a sector coupling. That sounds pretty yep. good, doesn't it? <laughs> Whatever sector coupling. Uh, might be. I also wonder whether it might be in a, in a phrase of my own uh, here, uh, something of a missing link. And I wonder whether it could be a missing link between the oil and gas, uh, of which I was uh, uh, immersed in many, for many years, uh, uh, to uh, renewables, which I'm, I've been immersed for even more years. So it's, it's, it almost seems like there's a vector between the old oil and gas companies, they've got shareholders, they've got assets, they don't want them to become stranded, they don't want to upset the investors, they don't want to upset the people that have stuck with them for 100 years and more. Uh, and yet the brave new world that we touch upon in our broadcasts of innovation, of cost reductions, of offshore wind, offshore wind has bought things like uh, clustering, that's perhaps where it emerged from with uh, places like uh, Humberside. And more recently, I was in uh, Barrow, Barrow in Furnace a week or so ago. And, 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 and even um, a, a relatively untutored, if you would call them that, uh, uh, there was an SME gathering and a, a potential supply chain gathering, and the questions were all about things like hydrogen. Unthinkable, perhaps even 12 months ago, that even companies operating in, in perhaps not uh, not the most uh, central part of the UK, quite a remote part of the UK, uh, and they were well aware uh, that uh, hydrogen and offshore wind in particular were a good synergy. So I suspect that Perhaps it's because it's, we've, we've talked in the past, I think the phrase, the technical phrase that we used about hydrogen was that it's been around for yonks. And yet all of a sudden, people seem to be latching onto it again. We mentioned this in our podcast earlier this year, but it might be worth just refreshing people's memory that hydrogen is not new. Yeah, yeah. And I, I was looked up just the other day, actually. I mean, that the term hydrogen economy was coined back in 1970, I think it was. Um, and people were talking about it then because uh, there was oil crisis about to about to happen, um, and then it kind of disappeared again. So, and, th and that's one of the challenges is to get away from <clears throat> it just being a kind of a great concept and lots of kind of big picture stuff to actually um, some real real activity on the ground. Um, what drove down 
the costs of PV and what's been driving down the cost of batteries um, and driving down the cost of other bits and pieces has, has been deployment. Um, it's been building scale, churning these things out of factories on a on a repeatable modular fashion um, and then this classic term learning curve um you've started to see a little bit of that with with electrolyzers um the electrolyzer market has been is growing quite quickly and certainly the forecasts over the next few years are for it to grow quickly again um but so what's key i think is to is to get those things out to get that get that growth going and as the costs come down then that opens up more opportunities uh, in any case i think one of the barriers and i, I guess where why I come back to this, I think why, as you say, strategies are, are focused on things like clustering and hubs is another word that you hear quite a lot. Um, one of the big barriers to hydrogen is is just the the infrastructure, the distribution side of it. So if you break down hydrogen, I guess, into three elements, you've got production, you've got then moving it from where you produce it to where you need it, and then you've got the end use side of things, end use equipment, appliances, whatever they may be. If you can take out that middle one, if you can produce hydrogen where it's actually being used or <clears throat> close to where it's being used, then that's a massive, um, it removes a massive market entry barrier um, to getting these things deployed. Um, so I think that that's why the focus on clustering and hubs makes a lot of sense. Um, it's why where hydrogen is happening, the, the Orkneys, we keep coming back to the Orkneys, it's one of the, the best examples anywhere in the world of hydrogen actually in action being deployed. It does exhibit this sector coupling um, that you mentioned before about um, the fact that they they produce electricity from renewables and then they produce and then the hydrogen that they they generate from from that um, is then being used in heating applications, transport applications, and also power applications. So it's it's a a bit like fossil fuels. It's it's a fuel that can can deliver in in various sec sectors. Um, but again, it's I think it's important to it's in looking where to have these clusters and where to have these hubs it's important to focus on where there's an advantage to doing it with hydrogen and where there isn't um so the orkneys for example the key issue about the orkneys is that they produce excess renewable power i think they produce 30 to 40 percent more renewable power mainly from wind but also a bit of wave and tidal than they actually need and they can't export it because of the limitations on the export cable back to the mainland um so there the issue is well do you invest a load of money in an export cable back to the mainland to increase capacity or do you use that excess electricity you've got to generate hydrogen and then create a little <clears throat> a self-contained localized hydrogen economy on the island which is is what they've done so that that makes a lot of sense whereas again i think trying to do this on a massive scale and build huge new pipe <laughs> pipelines or um distribution transport um supply chains to move hydrogen about in the long run maybe that will happen but in the short run that's a much harder barrier so so yeah i think that's why uh, same with australia they were talking about hubs they were talking about remote locations um so looking at i think a, i'd say a focus over the last year that's really changed has been away from some of this kind of big grand hydrogen economy speak which goes back decades um and more towards localization where can we actually deploy it on a small scale quickly where it gives a clear advantage and where we we remove some of those barriers we don't have to we don't have to create a great big um distribution infrastructure we need something to produce hydrogen and then we're using the hydrogen pretty much um 
at the same place in terms of things like steel steel plants or refineries as we as we create it or we're just not going to move it very far so it's it's the orkneys or it's tasmania or it's some other um island location indeed uh, there seems to be quite a quite a good timing element to this as uh, as well we know that the gas grid uh, there's a thing called rio 2 uh, which is a, a five yearly review of the gas grid indicates that the gas grid it's actually going to be whittled down a little bit from where it is now. I think there are four main distribution uh, elements. So the four main uh, injections into the UK grid in Scotland and Wales and uh, the Northwest and uh, and and East Anglia. And uh, but I, th- I think ultimately, this parts of it are going to disappear. It's uh, it's coming to the end of its life. It was never really designed for fifty-year life. And the, the the good thing about hydrogen is that it can use existing kits. So you need to perhaps fiddle around at each end with the attachments. But as long as you line the long distance pipelines with uh, something that can take the smaller molecules of, uh, of hydrogen, it can be reused, which is good news because it's, uh, it's, uh, it's something that doesn't need to be ripped up. It's good news for the gas companies. It might otherwise face liabilities, which is something we touched upon in, uh, in March, that, uh, that, that you're off the hook for decommissioning costs and all the liabilities if you can reuse the kit and show it's still fit for some rejuvenated uh, purpose and that's good news uh, uh, commercially uh, the idea of uh, of hubs perhaps also ties into that there was talk in leeds at one time it seems to have gone a little bit quiet but perhaps you can uh, identify an area perhaps one that isn't hasn't got a long future for the um, for, for the, the methane hub and then perhaps some of that can be trialed and that's, i think in march we said that it's been done bit by bit uh, you don't need to have a hydrogen economy from scratch. What you can do mm. is inject uh, 20% into the pipelines, which can certainly take uh, an element of hydrogen quite comfortably. I think they could even take more. I think the problem is the uh, retrofitting uh, appliances is the issue, not that the pipeline or the network couldn't uh, uh, take it. Uh, and you could even start thinking, well, shouldn't we be future-proofing now appliances and give people a run-in? I think uh, since we spoke in March, I think methane is being phased out on new developments within five years. So very few people are going to start wanting traditional gas boilers as, as, as that time starts uh, ticking. It does seem to have uh, all-party support. I suppose something that you've just touched on there as well that's particularly important is that offshore wind has been something of a spectacular success story I was at Barrow uh, two weeks ago, and they said, "Well, the UK is no longer talking about trebling the uh, the uh, generation of, uh, of offshore wind within a decade. The most conservative element uh, has it quadrupling now, and that is absolutely eye-watering as, a, as an aspiration to get to from ten years where we are now to quadruple from around about ten gigs operational offshore to forty gigs now." We know that the grid, we've talked about the grid in a separate podcast, can't always facilitate that. So that leaves the constraints that you also mentioned. So to make projects commercially viable, why not think, well, we've got to do something with the overspill. Let's either generate some uh, something with a high back type of solution and generate some energy storage, or let's, uh, let's create some heat, or even better, let's have a look at electrolysis. Now, when we spoke in March... Uh, I think we indicated that electrolysis would be onshore, but there have been one or two innovations indicating that it could be trialled offshore as well. I think it's called Tractabelle or something like that. It's the first one I've seen uh, raising its head, head above the parapet, so I'm, I'm, I'm sure there will be uh, be more. So it's a case of now 
within the Crown Estate, they've got around four. They made it quite clear when I was in London that they are open to a hydrogen, a, a kind of a hybrid, if you like, a project containing a hydrogen element. And they, they would give a few nice, generous rent rebates if uh, if that such a scheme was to come forward. And that is uh, in advance of Scotwind, which is even more innovative in its approach, which is going to emerge uh, next year. Some of the locations that you've already mentioned, I'm sure that Orkney, if you've got a floating scheme, if you've got some kind of hydrogen element in Orkney, you would be, um, I'm sure at this stage, uh, talking uh, fairly advanced uh, uh, to uh, to the Scotland uh, process in, in, in Edinburgh. So there's a, another, another level uh, to come. Uh, I think people are also realising that, it, as a, coming back to this phrase, the missing link, I mean, transition can be painful. Uh, but uh, it's quite clear that companies like Shell and Total and Equinor, they used to be called Statoil and Dong is now uh, Orsted, uh, that they've got to be gradual, otherwise the confidence will go. These are big, big corporations that, that are nationally important and you can't just have a quick switch. And uh, perhaps one thing hydrogen can offer is a nice, smooth transition, this coupling, if you like, between oil and gas and renewables, so it's, I think there's sector coupling uh, in there, uh, and then bringing other supply chain uh, elements in the wake. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, the two the examples you mentioned there were both, um, again, it was a, a good examples of looking at applying hydrogen in a way that doesn't involve building out new network infrastructure. It's about reusing existing infrastructure. So, so yes, yeah, certainly blending in with the gas grid um, from a deployment point of view it just means you've, you've got to generate hydrogen in the first place. But if you can blend it even at quite small percentages into the gas grid, um, certainly in the short term, that, that generates a very large market. I, I did a very rough calculation the other day, which <coughs> I'd, have to, I'd probably have to check my numbers, but I came up with something like um, if you blended in on an energy basis, something like six or seven percent hydrogen into into the uk gas network based on the uk annual gas um demand that was that is is pretty much the entire equivalent to the entire current green hydrogen production worldwide so i mean it's a big we're talking about big markets at very, fairly small percentage of blending so um and there's a number of countries looking at that um as you say there's there's various trials to determine how much you can blend um both in terms of the network the pipe work itself and also the appliances at the other end but yeah it's it's one of those things that looks on the face of it like a, a sort of easy win it's a less disruptive thing to do um and certainly in the uk i know from hydrogen point of view heating is is obviously a big big um big element of that certainly if you look at the climate change committee report and the net zero stuff one of the the big challenges here is is not so much on the power side it's on the on the heating side um and so blending hydrogen into gas networks and ultimately potentially even completely um hyd i don't know what the word is hyd hydrogenizing or <clears throat> making 100 percent hydrogen through um some of those networks um potentially provides one route or an easier route to decarbonisation than some of the electrification options, um, which are much, much more disruptive at the consumer end of the premises. Um, we've got lots of housing stock here, which is, is not greatly insulated. Um, now, clearly, 
insulating those is, is a priority, um, but also the infrastructure within the house is designed around high temperature heating rather than low temperature heating, which is what, um, for example, heat pumps are all about. So there's going to be uh, it's going to be a big challenge to completely um, completely change heating to electrification heat pumps um, simply because of the amount of disruption at the consumer premises. Um, so if and it, as you say, it may be a transition, but um, I struggle from an investment point of view to see people investing in something they didn't think had a, had a long term uh, life. But certainly, an easier way to do that potentially is to is to blend hydrogen in originally. It creates scale. Um, it gets some of these electrolyzers and um, and potentially some of the, if you like, the blue hydrogen hydrogen with carbon capture and storage. It gets some of those facilities built um, <clears throat> at the big enough scale that they can drive costs down. Um, that you can then you can then come up with other other applications that start to make business sense. And yeah, I, th I mean, my understanding with the offshore wind. Um, coupling as well is that one of the rationale there is that you if you generate hydrogen offshore you can use existing pipelines to get it back onto shore um, and there's a potentially a, a cost saving relative to the the cost of doing the long export cables undersea electrical cables yeah um, yeah so to but just a, especially attractive perhaps if you've got uh, offshore assets that need to be think about decommissioning yes. and you're on the hook for this and you find that you've got hundreds of miles of pipelines already in situ uh, that could perhaps be uh, repurposed which would perhaps be good news for some of the uh, uh, the big uh, big players a lot a lot of stuff uh, in there john i, I did pick up uh, the importance of uh, of gas perhaps is worth reiterating and i think it's that for every unit of electricity in the uk there are three of gas used so that's how bigger scale this uh, opportunity uh, could be i suppose by transition uh, i suppose what i meant not this much the infrastructure which i think most people seem to think is, is is doable but actually the transitioning will be at the other end on the generation of uh, hydrogen if that's the right word on the production of hydrogen in that it could start as brown or blue as, as they call it for some strange reason and then gradually get greener and greener as the, it's just like the electricity grid has got greener as wind has come onto the system over the last 20 years, uh, then hydrogen itself could uh, get more and more injected and the hydrogen production would be green rather than brown. Uh, uh, so in that way, uh, the transition, the infrastructure wouldn't necessarily uh, kind of transition, but what, what goes in, what's injected into the, uh, into the grid or the new gas grid, um, I suppose if you were to take it uh, further, you would look at perhaps a dash for gas, which was in the 1970s when uh, the gas fields were... Uh, exploited on the back of, of oil and gas uh, and i wonder whether there could even be a, a dash for hydrogen is that is that possible yeah i mean it, as you say i think that it's kind of trying to separate some of the fundamental market need <laughs> and preference um from there's certainly an element of industry push as you say the companies that tend to be pushing hydrogen most strongly are companies who have assets um that they could um they could utilize and in fact if they don't utilize them they could end up stranded um so that's as you say it's the um the shells and the the bps and the totals and the statoil uh, the orsteads and um and and so on of this world um so i think uh, it's whether so certainly there are companies that kind of have a vested interest i would say in, in it uh, which doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen um but on the other hand they also have 
the size and the scale to integrate some of these things. And also, it, certainly in the, the North Sea is kind of interesting. There was a meeting recently, <clears throat> German and government and UK government meeting, where they were kind of looking at possibilities for the North Sea as a as a hydrogen and offshore wind hub. Um, and obviously, companies like um, Orsted are very much in in both. I mean, the same with um, names going on my head now. <laughs> what used to be Statoil? Um, yeah, Statoil is Equinor now. Equinor, that's it. <laughs> Went blank for a moment. Um, but they're the same. I mean, they've got. They are. <clears throat> We, we know a lot about them here because of their investments in offshore wind, but they are still um, well not not so much um, not so much Orsted, um, but certainly Equinor still have investments and activities in in gas, gas and oil. Um, so as you say, it's kind of balancing. They have they have feet in both camps. Um, certainly Shell and and the BP and the like are not suddenly. They're not investing in renewables and in electricity networks and car charging networks and electricity retailers at the at the exclusion of also pursuing oil and gas. It's a it's a mixed strategy. Um, so they're certainly looking at sector coupling opportunities. Um, and the North Sea, you can imagine situations where you have both um, green hydrogen and blue hydrogen. So you could have hydrogen produced by electrolysis um, but equally you could have hydrogen produced from from gas reforming with carbon capture and storage um, all happening in the North Sea. Um, in the North Sea ironically what you could see is oil and gas companies as, as oil fields and oil and gas fields start to deplete and reach end of life um, they could having taken carbon out of them and shoved it into the atmosphere um, ironically if carbon capture and storage starts to um, take off either or is required from a policy point of view um, for the production of blue hydrogen for example ironically you could see this, the same companies that were have been pumping carbon out of the ground um, for decades um, making a business case now for pumping carbon back into the ground uh, yeah to great, produce great. hydrogen Great deal in there once again, John. A few things I'd like to pick up on. First of all, I think carbon capture and storage came back in, didn't it, into the energy strategy. That's been a, a bit of a hokey-cokey one of the last 20 years. There been competitions and then they've been dropped and then they've come back and then they are back in. So I think that will be a bit of an incentive. Thinking to Scotwind, and I'm sure that even at site selection, uh, people uh, they, they will be now thinking in a joined-up manner, uh, the, the, the coupling might between uh, if we were to go for this site we might we get this oil and gas out first and then might there be an opportunity for for offshore wind and might that offshore wind actually also be floating which are quite flexible uh, in mm. uh, and, and, and fewer constraints in deep waters and so forth so that might be a, a driver and the third thing i'd like to raise and we talked in glasgow to a, a very innovative company uh, that are just bought in uh, to a liquefied hydrogen i think we've been talking about hydrogen going through in, in, in a kind of methane or gassy type of form but it doesn't have to it can be um, liquefied which is of great interest and uh, i think that company was investing in a kind of ammonia based i think uh, hydrogen is already a byproduct of uh, it's not it's not just electrolysis there are various ways of getting to hydrogen it's pyrolysis which is a very very high temperature uh, form of uh, of production and that can be done from things like plastic waste which isn't renewable but is part of the wider 
episteme or a wider picture at the moment. Certainly it's very topical, but the company we met in uh, Glasgow were just looking at, um, actually it might make good sense to liquefy uh, hydrogen and uh, transport it in, in fairly regular containers. And that, that might in itself solve other problems. And it might also be in, you know, of great interest to the transport and the industries uh, re relying on more of an oily type of uh, approach. Have, have, you, have you any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think all that stuff, I think in the future, I mean, there's lots of things you can think about in the long run. Um, I, I guess my my focus, if I was kind of advising <clears throat> hydrogen sector or companies in the short run, is it's looking, it's getting stuff done now. Um, it's looking at stuff that can be deployed, deployed um, quickly, um, fewer barriers to entry, more obvious um, business cases, um, <clears throat> getting them done now because a lot of the strategy stuff, a lot of that long-term stuff relies on hydrogen being being cheap, um, being produced more cheaply um, and having end-use applications that, that require that it can compete with, with with other things. It doesn't exist in a vacuum. Uh, there are plenty of other technologies out there looking to do the same kind of things. Um, and so I think, I guess, and that means rolling out um, rolling out production now i mean the vast majority of production 90 odd 99 percent or something is is still um, natural gas and coal producing hydrogen and the two big uses of it are in oil refining and in ammonia production for for fertilizer so i mean there are some clear from a decarbonization point of view that's two two big markets that already exist two big industrial uses where if you could swap out um your grey or whatever colour you want to call it, the fossil fuel hydrogen um, with with green hydrogen, <coughs> electrolyzer hydrogen. Um, they're very. You've already got very big markets for hydrogen usage at oil refineries. You could you can have electrolyzers on site, <coughs> so you've not got any of these issues about transporting it about. Um, and the same with ammonia production. So and you're you're seeing activities there. Shell, one of the biggest. They've got one of the biggest electrolyzer projects I think still <coughs> announced in the in the world uh, which i think is due to come online in the next year or two um which is at one of their oil refineries in in germany um so there are, there are some it's kind of things like that i think which are kind of quick wins and also i guess having come from the renewable side my only with things like carbon capture my only concern there is how much can you really drive the cost down um it's fundamentally each project is going to be pretty much a kind of big scale customized um, project whereas electrolyzers strike me as more like <clears throat> batteries pv modules whatever if them as the market grows you can you can churn them off a production line at much lower cost i mean they're <clears throat> they you can build them in a in a modular fashion um and so it's much easier to see the costs of that coming down which in some ways is good because if you're producing um, hydrogen through electrolyzers, it's from renewable power. It's you can say it's proper clean hydrogen um, as opposed to producing natural gas and then having to stuff the carbon somewhere else. <clears throat> now, it's not to say that both won't happen, um, but certainly in the short run, I would say I've seen more. <clears throat> some of the stuff on electrolysis just seems more immediate term. Uh, it requires less kind of big scale disruptive 
um, thinking. Um, and I think some of the more exciting projects are actually these industrial projects. Um, Steelworks as well. There's been a few with Steelworks announced recently where they're using hydrogen instead of coking coal. Um, so those kind of things, they're, they're a bit less dramatic and a bit, le bit less kind of big hydrogen economy focus, but they're they're getting things built. Uh, and in the short run, I think that's where a lot of the growth is going to come from. Now that, as you say, could then lead through to once you've got growth and you've driven costs down, that can lead through to some of these grander schemes in terms of having enough hydrogen supply at low enough cost to, to feed them. Yeah. Um, but I think in the, in the short term, I think the challenge is to get things built, get things done, yeah. even on a smaller scale, and then all the kind of big dreams can happen later on. Yeah, uh, I know that uh, one of the Manchester universities, I think it was the MMU, was saying that they were going to hydrogenise the whole uh, estate. And I think uh, they mm. came to the conclusion that uh, although that was laudable, it wasn't cheap. I think it came in at four times the cost of, uh, of methane. But in the longer run, uh, I think they wanted to get a world lead and they've got various other drivers, not all of them necessarily commercial. Uh, and that was underpinned with Manchester at the time. A year ago, it came out with these world beating uh, initiatives, but it was going to be carbon neutral, I think, seven or eight years before the rest of the UK. 2038 was mentioned. I'm not quite sure what's happened in the intervening year. That, that, that pace... Uh, seems to have, uh, although it was astounding at the time, it, it, others have trumped it. I think uh, both Edinburgh and Glasgow said, if we're going to do it by uh, 2030, we've already heard about the quadrupling of offshore wind generation within a decade, mm. uh, an eye-watering pace. So the struggle there is, can the industry keep up? It's such an ambitious, and this is uh, uh, the, the, the most conservative one, is literally from the Conservative Party. And even they're coming up with 40 gigawatts by 2030, and then there's a, a a promise of a bit more jam tomorrow, even after uh, after that. So these <laughs> remarkable ambitions are out there. We've seen that scale obviously does reduce cost. It's all right, very well to have niche projects. But if you've got something scalable and then you start getting projects in, I'm looking at this high net deployment here in the northwest that's gone a little bit quiet. And then Manchester was going to be doing something possibly. Uh, so it's going to be, I suppose, a first mover. Uh, I mentioned You mentioned the Shell one. In, uh, in Germany, the, the Australia, the signs of activity uh, as well. And uh, pe people in Japan watching what's happening in Australia as well. Can it go uh, out and could it become an export market, which is always of interest to uh, commercially minded people in, in, in bays, for example. So I suppose the acid test, even though there's been a lot of talk in the last six or seven months since our initial analysis in March, is that it is a lot of talk still. Yes, still a lot of people can write strategies till, till the cows come home, uh, but people are going to start having to deliver this. When, when's that going to happen? Or is it, is, it, is it already happening under our noses? Yeah, well, I think, as I say, in, in some some of those, what you might regard as niche examples, but I think a pretty a big markets compared to where hydrogen is now. So steel refineries, that kind of stuff, you're seeing things actually happen. But I think, I mean, you've, you've raised... One of the things you've kind of raised indirectly there is, is the kind of usual elephant in the room, which is policy. Um, one of the problems in the short run is that hydrogen is a more expensive way to do a lot of these things than the alternatives, um, particularly fossil fuel alternatives or in some cases um, just other kind of electrification alternatives. So, so a big big part of this and i guess why you're seeing all these strategies get written and you're seeing um, lots of lobbying around it is is try and try and get some policy assistance now we've had that we could have been sat here 
15 years ago or whatever saying the same about solar well there's all these things we can do with it but it's too expensive um and obviously there was helpful <coughs> policy regimes in place that gave feed-in tariffs and sort of skewed the market economics to give solar the chance to ramp up um it ramped up the costs came down <coughs> came down very rapidly and now policymakers don't really have to worry about subsidizing solar um there might be other supports around kind of grid access and market <coughs> Um, operations and so on that we could argue a kind of indirect subsidy but in terms of handing out chunks of taxpayers money because the technology is too expensive that that's gone um, and so you could argue that hydrogen deserves the same now I guess the question then is well which which bits of hydrogen deserve the same should policymakers only um, focus on on proper if you like green hydrogen um, should they be should they be putting subsidies the way of oil companies to do carbon capture and storage? Um, should you subsidise shoving carbon into the ground that you've just drilled out a few weeks ago? Um, so I think I think what policymakers do will drive a lot of where growth happens and where deployment happens um and uh, yeah i'm sure that's that's a big reason why you have all these all these roadmaps and reports coming out a lot of it is trying to is trying to get money, either grant money from policymakers. But I think I think in the what will really make a difference is if is if policies come in place which kind of skew the economics. And I guess the obvious one for hydrogen to skew the economics versus fossil fuels is, is some kind of carbon tax or some kind of carbon price um, consistency, um, which which kind of bridges that that cost gap. But th there may be other ones as well. Um, there may be other other policy incentives that we could think of that that would help kind of skew the economics and, and help drive that initial growth. Yeah. Okay. So, if we were to take a, a bit of a summary, I think in uh, in our March podcast we were a bit skeptical about some of the noise, uh, if you like, surrounding uh, hydrogen. I, I suppose that skepticism uh, remains. Uh, in our podcast on uh, on wave and tidal, we indicated that actually uh, masterly inactivity and just waiting uh, can actually sometimes work because uh, we could have been on the hook for perhaps uh, many many years of subsidy. Uh, deployment of, of kit that has been superseded and we talked about uh, these wave and tidal projects and long burn projects and if you support them through the entirety you could be paying, I think that the, the subsidy was was more than Hinkley and you could be paying this for generations when actually five years down the line something like a battery or indeed hydrogen comes along uh, that is actually a, a better long-term uh, solution so ironically despite some perhaps squealing within the industry um th this this idea of constant review and just just give a few and a bit at a time is actually quite uh, quite prudent uh, so we're seven or eight months on obviously we've come we've revisited hydrogen largely as a result of of listeners really uh, they, they, they want us the demand is clearly out there for more on hydrogen uh, that's why we've uh, revisited. But, but are the conclusions significantly different from, from March, where we said, well, perhaps, there is, I mean, we've got net zero, we've got people on the streets, we've got, since uh, since March, uh, Parliament declared a, a climate emergency, whatever that uh, might uh, might mean. Offshore wind has, has continued to uh, to reduce its costs, I think, under £40 a megawatt hour now. So that is, uh, is moving on, and it's going from trebling to quadrupling. So that's another driver. Um, so uh, clean air seems to be uh, uh, an issue uh, that perhaps was less so earlier in the year. 
Is there anything else that's, that's driving hydrogen? It seems to be going global. It's gone almost quantum in seven or eight months, which is everybody seems to be looking at this at, at the same time, which isn't always the case for, for energy. Yeah, I mean, I would certainly say interest has definitely grown um, and interest sort of in more regions, um, more places are looking at it. Um, at the European level, there's more kind of <clears throat> focus on trying to kind of integrate some of these various disparate plans into into some kind of policy framework. Um, the I think before long, the once the election's out of the way and people actually sit down um, in the UK again, I think there will have to be there will have to be some actual policy mechanisms start to be put in place if they want if, if from a from a strategic level they see hydrogen as something is important um so i think i think a bit more focus um a lot more a lot more documents um i think there is more happening on deployment but as i say i think it's where it's happening is possibly not on the kind of these big grand scale trendy projects if you like and sectors and also th things like uh, i think the hydrogen car side of the things has probably gone backwards um but i think where i think there is more happening in terms of deployment on some of these kind of less sexy projects but probably ultimately more useful and and more more critical in getting the market going which is is the industrial projects it's the it's the steelworks the refineries some of the other kind of industrial applications of hydrogen i think you are starting to see those that they're on a small scale um a lot of them are are helped by um, either helped by by grants and subsidies or in some cases just companies taking a, a strategic view and being big enough to fund it out of their own pockets um so i think i think there's i would say there's incremental progress um in certain in certain segments um i think i think what we'll see as always happens you have a massive hype for these things <clears throat> um that hype will die down um so some of these very big grand schemes i think will just disappear um and and what we'll but what we'll end up with is we'll end up with some some progress and some smaller schemes um and some some more just some more focused applications which will actually start to happen and actually start to um drive deployment grow the market reduce the cost and so on and then some of the grander schemes will get revisited later on um but i think it, it it's i think people in the industry are starting to realize that they can't just keep producing strategies forever uh, something <laughs> has got to be done because it because it doesn't it doesn't exist in a vacuum i mean the the longer hydrogen isn't deployed um the more other competitors and other solutions um in the market will will take um, take those market opportunities um so i think i think there's a realization that that action action is going to have to speak louder than words over the next next year or two yeah from a uk perspective we have signed up to paris we have signed up i think mrs may signed us up to some quite ambitious net zero uh, targets is it 2048 uh, for the uh, for the UK and Scotland uh, in advance of uh, of that and the clock is ticking uh, a year has gone since um, Manchester announced even more ambitious targets and I, uh, the cynical part of me says well what what exactly has happened in uh, in that year other than perhaps uh, endless new strategies I mean there seems to be quite a good market in writing strategies but I think we're both looking forward now to seeing practical pragmatic schemes they don't have to be uh, earth-shatteringly exciting but they do have to be consistent with that direction of travel and something in the ground that people can see does it work does it deliver has it met the financial 
targets and is it replicable replicable and is it scalable and those are the kind of things that industry uh, will look at and if it if it works of course it's pragmatic it, it, it will go further down that route yeah yeah definitely i yeah i mean you mentioned their financial side i mean uh, from an investor's point of view i don't it's not really something i would say from a big commercial investment perspective it's on the horizon at the moment um it's there's not really a there just aren't really good investable business cases um well, only suspect only expect, uh, suspect if the if alternatives are even more scary, if you are on the hook for a whole heap of, uh, mm. of, of then it might concentrate the mind uh, somewhat, and perhaps that's not a bad driver. Uh, it's still commercial, it's just not purely commercial, if yeah. you like. So, I mean, to, but to, again, to grow from an investment point of view, it needs, it, it needs clear kind of policy direction. Uh, as you say, it needs things on the ground that people can look at and say, yep, that works, it's reliable, it's operated for... This many, this many years, uh, the life of the electrolyzer is is this much. Uh, the efficiency is this much. Um, so yeah, it, it needs you need deployment doesn't just drive down costs. It also of equipment. It also drives down costs of financing because it provides it lowers risk because it provides more information and more data and more security and in what people are investing in. So so yeah, that that's another good um, a good point to make is that um, if you want to actually. <coughs> it, <coughs> Ultimately, if you want um, private money, commercial money, if you if you like, however you want to term it, to come into this and not just rely on on government money or or your own pockets, um, then yeah, again, that's another good reason to get things get things built, get things yeah. operating. And one perhaps slightly incongruous point from my, my perhaps a final point is uh, before I went into the Manchester uh, Innovation Hub, uh, they've got a hydrogen fuel cell uh, facility there, and uh, before I went in, I thought I'd just check on Wiki. On Wikipedia, what uh, what the latest on hydrogen was, and I was rather startled, and I did share it with the audience. That actually, I've just checked Wiki, and it says that hydrogen was responsible for the Hindenburg disaster, which uh, I don't think is widely regarded as such in the industry, but it's still out there. And uh, if there's something you don't want to be associated with as an industry, it's something as perhaps as dramatic and uh, unfortunate as that uh, disaster. So if the industry is serious about wanting to uh, de-risk, it might want to uh, ensure that the public's uh, 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 satisfied it's safe and even start to think well who who wrote this wiki uh, thing is it true and perhaps challenge it or replace it even if uh, if and you can have all these strategies but if that is the thing that most people will look at uh, is right in your face it might be something that the industry itself wants uh, as a bit of a you don't need uh, teams of uh, expensively assembled consultants to uh, to, to go in and uh, at least challenge what's out there in the public uh, public domain yeah and again the best way to challenge it is to is to get kit out there um, and operate it safely and operate it reliably. Um, industry can write as many things as it wants, but nothing is going to persuade <laughs> people better than than experience. Uh, I really. did. I did see the uh, 50 year anniversary of the moon landings, and uh, quite uh, quite interesting uh, that all that was done on hydrogen. So this is like you say, it's been a long time out there. 50 years ago, they landed uh, vehicles on the on the moon and rockets on the moon using hydrogen. It came again in the 70s, and here we are. Uh, but it does seem as though it's got um, added, perhaps certainly, yes, add, add, there's certainly added amplification of the voices of hydrogen, whether that transmits itself into 
into schemes on the ground, I suppose we shall uh, we shall see. Is there, is there anything else, John, that we uh, we should cover on uh, on hydrogen at this stage? Perhaps it's uh, worth another refresh uh, a few months yeah, down no, the line and see whether this has transmitted be. itself into into the action that we both seem to be uh, anticipating and waiting for. Uh, and then people can look at it and, and see whether it's beyond demonstrator it works or not, and see, see yeah, what happens. I'm sure it'll be worth a, a regular refresh. And I'm sure if we if we visit again in the in the spring, we'll have a bit more to talk about. There'll be some more projects we can we can maybe um, focus in on some specific examples a bit more. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm 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 certainly not a, a skeptic. I'm confident that it will happen. Um, I'm a skeptic as to compared to many people as to how quickly it will happen and how vast it's going to become very quickly. I think it's going to be, it's got a, I think there are plenty of segments to get it going and they're the ones to focus on. Um, I, I think sort of dreams of vast hydrogen economies are kind of way into the future if, if at all. So I think, I think, yeah, just focus a bit of, bit of realism, bit of rationalism. Um, and, and yeah, I think it's got a, it's got a bright future. Yeah, I think uh, I think we both concur with that. Uh, obviously, listeners, we uh, we welcome your feedback. You have driven this uh, this revisiting of uh, hydrogen, so thank you for uh, for coming back to us with uh, requests for more, which is always good. And uh, we are, we're always open if you'd like us to discuss any theme that's uh, energy related, and particularly we we tend to specialise, uh, I suppose, on on uh, innovation and renewables, hydrogen, obviously. But if there are themes that you'd like us to cover, please let us know. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And so I think until next time, we'll, we'll bid you goodbye. And thanks for listening. Bye.